And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And I will give you all the great information as we move through our program, because I love getting right to our guest who is joining us all the way from, uh, did you say Oregon? Is that right, Sarah? Peyton? Vancouver, Washington, right across the Columbia Ah, River Seattle, Seattle. Oregon. Okay, there. Well, it's close enough. Close enough for uh, living in the forest, <laughs> which wouldn't be a bad thing these days, except for all the silly fires and things of that nature. And uh, I thank you so much for being with us. I'm really looking forward to our to our conversation. Me too. You uh, you are going to be sharing with us here on the program today uh, about the work that you are doing through. I want to say it's a series of books, uh, but it's actually more than that. And it's actually a, uh, a program, if you will, a concept. And I found it very interesting, specifically because of the one word that's used. And you, uh, you're, you're promoting here, if you will, talking about your resonant self. And resonance uh, yes. is, is a resident, a resonant. <laughs> that has to do more with uh, like uh, vibration, right? <laughs> well, it's kind of like, I like to use the metaphor of a cello. I have a cello here in the background. Excellent. When you play one cello and you have another cello close by, it vibrates. You know, it's got the same like resonant vibration ah, yes. with the cello that's being played. And our human bodies actually do the same thing with each other. We really respond to each other. We can see in brain maps and fMRIs that when we're kind of tuning into somebody else, our brain starts to do the same thing that their brain is doing, even to the point of finishing their sentences before they finish them. Is, we can see it. Is there another word uh, that can be used like uh, an empath to be empathic? Or is that is that, do you think, something a little different? Well, with the word empath, people are often talking about like kind of being born to be resonant. But my sense is that we are all resonant beings, that there's not somebody who's more resonant than another being, that it's a matter of kind of learning what is that brain space where if we actually respond with warmth and understanding that another person's body and being relaxed and trauma is healed, then all kinds of wonderful things happen for the immune system. Well, uh, first things first, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you got started in all this. You, you apparently believe uh, very strongly in the power of resonance to change the world. I feel as though uh, in order to do that, we have to strike one giant tuning fork and just bang it against the ground and let it vibrate out, kind of even like the crystal bowls and things of this nature, and let that just permeate, that permeate the planet and its I love people. That. Yeah. How'd you, how did you come across this concept, if you will, I, I, and I know it's more than that, um, of resonance. Well, I think the place it started for me was with nonviolent communication. And I'm a certified trainer of nonviolent communication now because it was such a revelation to me. I had the experience of being really stuck. I really wanted to hug my adopted son and I could not figure out how to hug him. My body would just stop. And I was like, oh, this sucks. And I couldn't imagine that anything would change. I'd never had anything change in my life. And I just happened to go to a nonviolent communication retreat with Marshall Rosenberg, the fellow who developed nonviolent communication. And they said, there's going to be an empathy circle. They called it an empathy circle. So I went to the empathy circle and so they said, who has an issue? 
even if you think it won't change, let's talk about it. So I said, well, heck, I'm going to talk about my son. So I started talking about it and people, instead of telling me what to do or telling me to do something differently or think about it differently, they were just like really trying to understand me with a lot of warmth. And I had this spontaneous memory of being a little tiny girl and reaching out to hug my mom and feeling her body tighten. My mama had, she was a lovely woman and she had a lot of trauma. So her body tended to like panic when you reached for her. And once I got that, I was like, well, no wonder I have a hard time reaching out to hug people I love. I think they're going to, that it's going to be harmful to them. And when I let that go, I could hug my son. And I was like, okay, that was really weird. What the heck happened? How do we explain this? And that was the beginning of me investigating relational neuroscience and the way that we use language with each other that actually allows the brain to change in profound ways. Oh. I have to say that what you are going to share with us in this program is going to be fascinating, especially, and this is one of the things that I will be mentioning throughout the program uh, to our listeners that I have been promoting since September of 2019. It started out with uh, people uh, being encouraged to participate in the year of Perfect Vision 2020. Mm -hmm. And then when that year ended, we went on to the decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. (laughs) Encouraging people to go within, to listen Mm -hmm. to that still, small voice, and Mm -hmm. to be in that quiet, peaceful, calm space within and relax and rejuvenate. However, what I found interesting from you was that your still, small voice um, was kind of mean. And, uh, of course, there's a section on your website about, uh, about this. Do you have a critical inner voice? Now... Before I read the rest of this, is that critical inner voice different from the still small voice that we want, our intuition? Well, I think, you know, it ends up, you know, once we clear the trauma, it ends up being the same voice. But I I think there's sort of this period of time where we've got the, the default mode network, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about this still voice within the default mode network actually changes for everybody throughout the day. So you might wake up depressed and go to sleep happy or wake up happy and go to sleep depressed and have these kinds of daily rhythms of the way the voice treats you and what things are difficult and what aren't. And if you make a mistake, my God, what happens then? So, uh, so as we heal trauma and as we make our brains a kinder, gentler place to live. Yeah, kinder, gentler, you betcha. Kinder, gentler, (laughs) Then what happens is that that voice becomes, that voice really starts to rock in terms of being a supportive, sweet center voice of intuition and warmth and self-warmth. Very interesting. I have to tell you that of late, with, with what I have been going through in my own personal life, And this is one of the things that I was constantly um, being shared with by people who were supporting me as I would go through this period, uh, was be kind to yourself, take care of yourself, focus Mm -hmm. on yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't care about anybody else. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. Because if you're kinder to yourself, Richard, if you take care of yourself, Richard, then you will be there for others as well, the, the immediate people around you and so forth. 
Yeah. Uh, and that seems to me like the, 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 the survival rule. Take care of number one or on the airplane. Put your mask on first yeah. before you put help anybody else. Yes, it's a very interesting concept because it immediately takes us into this idea. Okay, am I being selfish? Yeah. If I actually focus on myself, am I being selfish? And and no, and you know, people actually really, truly, deeply want to be able to contribute to the world. Yeah. It's one of our greatest desires is to have our presence be a contribution, to be able to contribute. And the thing that stops people from contributing more than anything else is unhealed trauma, because that's what sends that default mode network into the whirlpool of um, of self-criticism. Mm -hmm. And that gets in the way of contribution. Right. You're listening to Tell Me Your Story. We're talking with Sarah Payton, and she has a website by the same name with a dot com at the end there. And we will be linked to your website as well, Sarah, so that people can Thank find out more think. about DMN, ladies and gentlemen. Hope that you will go there and check that out. I'm Richard Dugan, and my guest is Sarah uh, Sarah Payton, and we are talking about uh, DMN, uh, okay? Uh, that's the default mode network. I think that's uh, how that's uh, put together. Yes. You yes. talk about uh, how true uh, truth, not trauma, understanding rela relational trauma and the brain. Now, mm -hmm. one of the things, first of all, whose dog is this on your website? That is one gorgeous <laughs> Uh, Sib is, am I correct? Siberian Husky? Um, there are, there are, I think, a couple of dogs on the website, and they, I just love dogs. So they are. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, dogs beautiful. I love. Uh, but one of the things that, and I, I'm going to be sharing, obviously, a little bit of my own personal story, at least in a general sense. Uh, okay. Names have been changed or omitted uh, because <laughs> I'm not out to... Um, to shame anybody, to make anybody no. the bad guy or bad girl, whichever the case may be. But um, one of the things that I have found is that uh, as I am going through my processes, trying to get through it, there is always, for me, there's seems like there's this, this undercurrent for me of, uh, I'm going to call it optimism. Okay. Now, when the pandemic was declared, and certainly there was a there was a moment of anxiety and all of that kind of stuff. But underneath there, and I've shared this many, many times on this program in the last year or two. I thought, this is great. We're doing something different. We're no longer practicing insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. For example, you know, when the flu rolls around, I've been telling people for 40 years plus, we need to shut the airlines down, stop people from moving around for two weeks. Two weeks, mm -hmm. they would say, oh, no, you can't do that will devastate our economy. And now today I'm going, really, as compared to what we've just been through, two weeks is a blip. OK, yeah. Yeah. so we finally said we're going to do something different. Now, we don't know what it's going to look like on the other end. All right. We may or may not like it, but it's going to be different. But the optimism was in what opportunities hmm. are we going to have available to us um, as we go through and come out the other side, okay? So as I deal with the, 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 the situations in my personal life, 
I feel the same way. I'm thinking, look, first of all, this is temporary. This is not a permanent state mm. any more than my life is permanent. I mean, I would like to hang around for another 40 plus years. Uh, I often tell people, look, I have to outlive my great grandmother who lived to be 100. All right. Mm. I'm 61. So that kind of tells you I got another lifetime or two, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So uh, for me, that's there. Okay, and I'm not ignoring the realities. We have, I mean, I live here in California, and you know as well as I do, you've heard the reports, and even you there in uh, Oregon and Washington, you, you've had your share of fires too. Oh, yeah. And I know that they're, they, they are devastating to people, but I, I remember when we were evacuated the one time, believe it or not, with all of the fires that I've dealt with since 2006, we were only evacuated once. Now, I didn't want this to happen, but I was sort of preparing myself for it. You know, if the fire takes yeah. out the cottage, okay, then we don't have anything to move, you know. Uh, now, we don't have anything other than the clothes on our back and whatever we had in the car, plus our animals. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so guess what? We get to start over. We get a fresh start and new opportunities and new new experiences. I mean, I loved the the concept of staycation. We stayed at three different hotels for 10 days and then a friend's house for the last two days. We would have never gone to those hotels. I could write Yelp reviews yeah, <laughs> on these hotels, right? Here's a question for you. Sure. Do you have a sense that either your mom or your dad had this lovely sort of unsinkable optimism? You know, I'll be honest with you, um, I would say so, and I yeah. will tell you why. Many mm -hmm. people ask me, so what, your, or they say to me, your parents must have sacrificed a lot because they had six of you. You, you know, I've got two older <laughs> sisters, two younger sisters, and a younger brother. And I remember having my parents on this program. I've interviewed them. Now, the interview mm -hmm. isn't available yet because they're still alive. My dad's 90, my mother 87. They've been married 65 years. And I asked them that very question. Did you sacrifice anything in the pro you know, to, to have such a big family? And my mom and dad both agree saying, no, we wanted a big family. There so was part no of what you're describing with this unsinkable optimism yeah. is something that comes as a gift yeah. from parents who are securely attached who have a sense of optimism and give it to their children. It's a very sweet gift. It's really important for health and well-being and post-traumatic growth and being able to make our way through a difficult world. And what the nice thing is, is that if our parents didn't have it and didn't give it to us, then it still starts to surface as we do the, the healing work for the brain. Yeah, it's, it's, and I have to say, I'm grateful. You know, my, I mean, we went on a number of vacations. We would go up north to Flagstaff. I was born and raised in Phoenix. Mm. We would actually come to California. We went to San Diego a couple times. I remember the first time we came here in a, on a vacation, they had rented for a week an apartment that mm. overlooked the beach at Huntington. Huntington mm. I believe it was Huntington Beach. Might have been. Yeah. No, I think it was. Well, San Diego, that's not Huntington. Anyway, it was a fabulous experience. It was wonderful. Went to yeah. SeaWorld, and then we went up to Disneyland, and da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. But they, they, even with the children, including myself, who had visual impairments, mm. so they, they had to deal with these, these challenges with the glasses. I know that a couple of my sisters did get braces. Uh, mm. I had the choice at the age of 21 when they yanked out my 
my uh, wisdom teeth, all four of them at once, you know, uh, we can get those straightened out if you wear braces. And I was so self-conscious back at the age of 21. I said, no, no, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. <laughs> and now today I'm sitting here going, I wish I'd made the other decision because I think things might eh, be different. Maybe not. But anyway, this is fascinating stuff. How to build inner resonance, uh, inner <clears throat> resonance. That's right. How to build an inner residence. Sarah Payton, my guest uh, on the Therapy Chat podcast. You have your own podcast as well. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, I was on somebody else's podcast on okay. the Therapy Chat podcast. Yeah, getting to talk. So about you that. you are a guest on a re on a number of them, including ours. You mm -hmm. also have guided meditations uh, to yeah, transform your brain with self on the website. I beg on your website, right? Yeah. And that website, of course, is Sarah Payton. Dot com, and we encourage folks to go there. That's, by the way, uh, S-A-R-A-H-P-E-Y-T-O-N dot com. Yeah. And we encourage you to go there. One of the other aspects that I'd love to talk to you about in, ter in, this, in this context, especially, especially now in, in what, I like, what I call the COVID era. Mm -hmm. Again, an era only lasts a certain length of time. You don't always know how long it'll be, but it only lasts a certain length of time. And that is to how, how to heal. And I want to speak. I, I saw the word and I thought it said something else, but I'm glad I brought it up. Mm -hmm. You have here how to heal guilt and shame with resonance. But the word I thought it was was grief. I want to talk about oh, grief. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about grief. Because a lot of people are having a lot of trouble these days. Uh, be, not only if they have lost a loved one due to the pandemic or for any other reason that for that matter, but those like myself who uh, who can't point to anyone that uh, I have lost, but I have had, um, let's see, I've had a sister and her husband and kids, her uh, adult children uh, come down with uh, the virus, but they made it through and I would say that their immune systems were very strong so that helped did not have to go to the hospital um, my parents are, were uh, as far as I know they were perfectly safe from it they stayed sequestered mm -hmm. I was actually going to visit them the summer of 2020 and they said uh, no and I said that's wise because I don't want to be responsible in that regard for that no. but yet those of us who haven't suffered any kind of real loss I have been working straight through the pandemic, okay? Mm -hmm. For me, my life hasn't really changed that much. Yet, you talk about this whole aspect of resonance, and I can feel that sort of vibration of angst mm -hmm. and grief, maybe over people losing their jobs, losing loved ones, losing one thing and another. Talk to us a little bit about that, because they say that we are headed towards another pandemic, but that pandemic is a mental health pandemic, especially in this country. Yeah. Yeah, we're really taking a hit because one of the things that's true about us in this country is that we don't have any kind of real modeling of self-warmth and self-compassion. You were talking about how when you first started out, people were like, you have to take care of yourself. People always say that. Be nice to yourself but they don't say how to do it. Uh -huh. Like there's a, there's some technology here for self-compassion mm -hmm. and there's some research that shows us some really sweet ways to, to start to, to do it. 
And one of the things that's really important to begin to understand is that we have different circuits that take care of us in different ways. And one of our circuits is our seeking circuit. And the seeking circuit gets things done. But the seeking circuit does not have any neurobiology that takes us into warmth. The seeking circuit is dopamine. It's not a cuddly circuit. It's not a I love you circuit. Mm -hmm. It's a let's get this done circuit. And then we have a care circuit, which is a really cuddly circuit that runs on oxytocin, runs on endogenous opioids. And the care circuit can be this incredible sweetness for us. So the, it's very interesting to begin to notice that when people say self-care, they'll like give you a list of all of the little things you're supposed to do for self-care. Take a bubble bath or um, make yourself healthy food, have a pot of soup, you know, sit down and rest. You know, all these things that you do that you could check off on a checklist, but none of them is like, none of the things on the list are like, just for a minute, breathe and love yourself. Just be kind and warm and put imaginary arms around yourself and say, oh, my God, Sarah, of course you're having a hard time. Of course this can't pandemic is kicking your butt. You know, of course you need some warmth and care and tenderness. And, and that's something that doesn't get modeled. And without that, then we do all kinds of things to try to take care of ourselves that don't work particularly well. Things like alcohol and opioids and marijuana and all of the things that are sort of really effective in changing internal brain chemistry temporarily, but don't take that moment of warmth and love and sweetness and, and, and self-compassion. Now, if we've had a lot of trauma, mm -hmm. warmth and self-compassion can be untrustworthy, even with ourselves. We can go, that's not authentic. I don't want to have anything that's not authentic. And then there's this whole other sort of healing journey that we're on of acknowledging the impact of trauma mm -hmm. so that we can get to the point of having the self-warmth. Sarah Pathan, my guest here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for staying with us here on the program as we continue our conversation and talk to, uh, about the work that she is doing, our guest Sarah Payton, on the Internet. Uh, you can find her at sarahpayton.com, and that's P-E-Y-T-O-N. We certainly hope that you will uh, investigate the work that she is doing. She has a wonderful series of books. Actually, they kind of all go together here uh, in a program that she has designed. And it is called Your Resonant Self. There's also a workbook. And uh, it's two books, one inseparable whole. And her first book, Your Resonant Self, includes the fundamental neuroscience concepts and clinical uh, and client stories that help the reader pave a resonant participant, a practice path to self-compassion. Now, one of the things that I have heard, Sarah, is that there are, as you, you've actually already alluded to, that there are a lot of different ways to, you know, take care of self yeah, and to sort of rewire the brain or uh, re rewrite the neural pathways, the neural net, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I have learned of two 
in particular. One is the type of music one might listen to. Mm. Classical music in particular. Mm. Uh, I remember doing some research on what's called the Mozart effect. Mm. And I researched that and, you know, I got the information. And then I saw another article poo-pooing it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what my first question was, if, if I could ever find the person, if I could find out who it was that actually uh, uh, decided to do that study on, on Mozart's music, I'd say, why Mozart? Why not yes, Bach, Beethoven, why? Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky, etc., etc.? <laughs> Right. There's another method that I learned of from another uh, good programmer, a good guest who has uh, been on my program, uh, Swami Vidya Dishananda of mm -hmm. the Self-Inquiry Life Fellowship. A mm -hmm. It has a monastery here in Montecito, California. And he talked about how in England they are teaching students how to write Sanskrit. They're not mm -hmm. trying to resurrect the language, but the process of yeah. learning the Sanskrit language mm. as they learn to write and understand it also rewrites the neural net. Now, oh, that's beautiful. I'm thinking that it isn't so much the music or the writing of this ancient language, this ancient uh, 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 text, if you will. It's more when you do something that is different from mm -hmm. what you've ever done before in more of a creative, constructive way for self. Is, yeah. is that a better way to phrase that than saying, yes, you need to listen to Mozart, and yes, you need to learn how to write Sanskrit? <laughs> I think so. Because, you know, different things open in different ways for different people. And, um, and different generations have different takes on music as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, uh, what's most important is, is rap music. And sometimes what's most important is classical music. And we cannot, we, we simply cannot prefer one over the other. We get to actually look at the effect that music in general has on brains. It's a very good effect. And, um, and, Anything that we do that kind of takes us from the body into an experience of being alive has a great deal of sweetness. My, one of my favorite neuroscientists is Ruth Lanius, who does all kinds of research into PTSD and the effects of PTSD on the brain. And what we can see in a PTSD brain, in a PTSD brain, post-traumatic stress disorder, we can see that the trauma affects the default mode network in a visible way. So we were talking about the critical voice, the critical inner voice. The critical inner voice is actually a visible set of energy movement in the brain that we can see. And then she did uh, fMRI studies of people after they'd done trauma treatment, and she could see that they're default mode network had changed the way it was routing itself through the brain. So she talks about the importance of top-down work, where you and I are doing top-down work for mm -hmm. the folks who are listening. We're giving them cognition. And as they're kind of tuning into us, they might be getting some juicy bits of resonance and connection. Mm -hmm. And they know you and they know your story and they get to hear different parts of it as you talk to different guests. And that's all part of like a kind of a relational and top-down kind of work with the brain. 
but everything that we do, that we give uh, thought to and care for and and explore with with resonance, with warm understanding, takes us from the bottom up. Mm. So writing Sanskrit allows people to be in their bodies experiencing something coherent and integrative. Um, one of the things that we've been experimenting with on the website and in my community is offering classes to do writing and to do um, to do uh, collage and to do art, different kinds of art, and to sing, and to explore that, like, what's it like to step into creativity and have warm understanding for ourselves? Whatever it is that comes up, whatever kinds of trauma remnants need to be held with care, whatever fears, whatever self-criticism needs to be held with care so that we can move through the blocks and start to experience the expression that I'm sure is a part of the writing of Sanskrit, such a beautiful language. I know nothing of it in that respect. I'm familiar <laughs> with some words because of uh, my uh, diving into, uh, at the age of 17, autobiography of a yogi. And of mm. course, a lot of Sanskrit words were used, uh, words in Hindu and so on and so forth. And I just find it utterly fascinating uh, how languages even developed. Uh, I'm sure that there's coursework on, uh, on on that aspect of how languages are created. You know, it's it's again. I think it's it's unbelievable how this stuff happens. You know, I mean, from my perspective, it's like wow. I mean, how did you? And then the different languages, and there are some languages that I like more than others. Uh, uh, by the way, I understand you can speak Russian. <laughs> you speak Russian very well. You used to translate on a fishing boat, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's exactly right. I, I just uh, was teaching this morning. I have a Russian certification program for people in Russia who've been studying my work and using it with clients. Who and I was just working with them this morning. So I was made, doing my best effort to speak Russian all morning. One of the things that I learned about Russian, and of course this was more of a derivative, if you will, of Russian, um, my first wife's family or her father's family uh, was, um, uh, was raised uh, in Russia. Her, as a matter of fact, her grandfather, uh, her father's father, uh, left the Soviet Union uh, the night before the Bolshevik Revolution. Oh, that's very good timing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not bad, not bad. Uh, if he hadn't, probably his son nor uh, his uh, granddaughter would have been born. But yeah, I, I learned that in Russian, at least uh, when when I was uh, being, this was being shared with me, there is only one word. They don't have, for example, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I'm, I'm looking to learn here too. Uh, they don't have a word for, let's say, car or washing machine. They have one word for machine, unless a new these new words like they have in English have been created yeah. and put into their dictionary. Yeah. Um, and it is it is very fascinating. As a matter of fact, what one of the things that I really loved uh, was learning some of the, the the phrases around Easter, for example, mm. uh, when you're celebrating the the resurrection. Uh, one of the phrases that you would greet someone with, and then they would respond. Uh, similar to in Islam, is uh, Christos Voskres. And you'd respond, yeah. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Yeah. 
Indeed, he is risen. And I remember, I, I, that's one of the phrases. I love the food, Pascha in particular, <laughs> and uh, and uh, 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 which is a bread. Oh, my God, a great sweet bread. My, my mother-in-law, and she would put oh. little crosses and little designs with the dough on top before she baked it. Oh, it was fabulous. Oh. In any event, it's, it's uh, I'm curious as to how you're learning Russian or period, another language, let's, you know, be more general in that respect, has maybe helped you uh, in, in terms of, uh, how do we put this, uh, rewriting, if you will, the neural pathways in your brain. What is that one of the modalities that you have found has done that, even if you didn't know that was what was going on at the time? I think so. I mean, it really gives you a sense, especially if you learn a second language as a young person or a relatively young person, it gives you almost a different identity. Like uh, I, I've noticed that um, when I'm speaking Russian, I'm, I, I'm less easy to shame. I'm very easy to shame in English. I'm very highly trained in shame in the English language. But in the Russian language, I'm a little bit fearless. And that may be from having spent some years as a young woman on Russian fishing boats. I mean, you sort of have to be somewhat fearless in the Bering Sea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me ask you a question. How yeah. did you wind up on fish, Russian fishing boats in the Bering Sea? That is fascinating so, stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's where I met my husband. Which, so I'm very grateful. Um, the the U.S. and the former Soviet Union had a joint venture fishing company, and what they would do is the U.S. fishing boats would catch the fish in U.S. waters and deliver the catch at sea to Russian fish processors, and I would live on the Russian fish processors, and I would translate between the Re American fishing boats and the Russian fish processors and track, uh, track the production of fish for the company. So I was a company representative on the Russian fish processors. Wow. By yeah. the way, uh, just let our listeners know who are not watching our YouTube video uh, that we encourage uh, new guests during our broadcast, a podcast video cast, and we just saw the tail of a black cat go by. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's your cat's name? This cat is Momo. Momo. Yeah. Well, Momo, it's wonderful to have you on the program. Uh, this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are here talking with Sarah Payton, sarahpayton.com. And, of course, we will be linked to her website so that you can uh, search out more of what she does and maybe connect with her uh, to do some work. You actually do one-on-one -on -one, uh, types of work, and obviously these days, at least for the time being, it is obviously uh, virtual. Um, yes, yes. And many people study with me and there are uh, references to people who study with me on the website as well. And, and again, it's to... all about resonance. Mm -hmm. It is. It's all about resonance. Resonance for our present day selves, resonance for our past selves, because in every experience of trauma, in every difficult memory that does not go away, there is a frozen seed of helplessness and of, of bewilderment and of many emotions happening at once. And we need to kind of do time travel to these past parts of ourself that are stuck in different places, doing different things with old ideas that aren't serving us anymore. 
and begin to reclaim all of our past selves. Now I'm going to make it real complicated. Uh, <laughs> what is your perspective? <laughs> what is your perspective uh, when it comes to past traumas from past lives? There's really no difference for the healing work. The healing work is identical. We've done marvelous things for folks who had a sense of their trauma being from a previous life. Mm. Marvelous things that relaxed the body and started people moving towards healing. Well, I, I just am, am blown away by the work that you are doing. I think that it's really, really fascinating uh, to, to look at. We're talking with uh, Sarah Payton, and I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, I, I would like to talk to you a little bit more about this program. First of all, obviously, we can go to your website. Start there. We can connect with you. You've yeah. got contact information and all that good stuff. We've done that. Okay, I've connected with you. Um, mm. Now what? Uh, where do I have to be? Well, so to speak, in what state, so in a matter of speaking, I don't mean state physically, not logistically, uh -huh. but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, uh, in well, terms of saying, you know what, I'd really, uh, you know, um, see, my perspective is I'm not broken. I don't need to be fixed. Okay. However, I'm always saying on this program, there's always room for improvement. I am perfect <laughs> by virtue of the fact that I just am. Yes. To be in this moment right now is, is perfection. It is. And you are perfect being mm -hmm. right now in this moment. But again, there's always room for improvement. And again, we're dealing with the traumas and so forth. Yeah. And I, I loved what you said earlier about how it's so easy for you to be shamed in English, but not so much in <laughs> Russian. Gee, I wish I knew another language myself because <laughs> um, I can kind of feel that. And I get so tired of hearing those kinds of comments from people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially people who say they love me, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. That's what really I, I would say that's what really hurts is this person says they love me. And yet then they say all this other stuff in other states, you know, in other yeah. consciousnesses, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Uh, so where do we with you, Sarah, where do we begin yeah. Well, with any kind of spark of curiosity, you know, that's the very most fun thing about human brains is that they'll get like little wake up calls and they'll go, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to experience the yummy self warmth that Sarah is describing. Maybe that would be fun. Or maybe that makes me feel totally claustrophobic, which is really interesting. What will Sarah say about that? <laughs> and to begin to discover to start with the free guided meditations, for goodness sake. And then if you like the free guided meditations, to get the book and look at the book and take a look and start to do the exercises or the journaling in the workbook. The workbook adds this whole dimension of what are the really good reasons that we do self-sabotaging behaviors? Like one of our self-sabotaging behaviors is letting ourselves believe that other people are saying something true about us. Mm. I remember <laughs> as you were talking about how uh, people say they love us and then they can say stuff that like totally takes us offline. I was remembering my mom, my sweet mama, who really, really, really wanted me to be tiny thin. And so she, when she saw me, she would say, Sarah, you're fat, which would just devastate me for the first 
for, for all of my life until people, I, I found a group of people who were like, oh yeah, that would be hard. <laughs> Instead of telling me, just say this to your mom instead, or just do this, or think about it this way. Instead of giving me advice, they were like, oh yeah, I wonder if you're devastated. And I was like, well, yeah, I am a little devastated. And finally, one day my mom said to me, Sarah, you're fat. And I said, I had had enough support by then that it, it didn't seem like a true thing that she was saying about me anymore. And I was like, mom, when you say that, I wonder if you're telling me that you really want people to love me that you really want me to be to be safe and cared about in the world and respected. Is that what you want? And she said, yes. Okay. <laughs> and, then she, <laughs> and then it was a year and a half before she told me that I was fat again. And I made another guess. And she was just so calm about my body for the rest of my life, which was another two and a half or three years by that point. Wow. And, yeah. Wow. And so it's like there's this whole world of like what what are the resonant things that people are, are trying to get across in their very tragic ways when they're trying to say I love you. Yeah. And it comes out <laughs> in such difficult language. Why Why can't you say what I just said you're probably trying to say instead of what you said? <laughs> why can't you just be... I, 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 it's fascinating to me how men in particular, fathers in particular, husbands mm. in particular, mm. have such a hard time saying I love you. Oh. My father, every time I talk with him on the phone, he tells me, as, do, as does my mother, I love you. And I, I shared this once before on this program, and I'll share it again here. I remember when uh, I was visiting my parents, and we were saying our goodbyes, and I was giving my mom a hug, and I said, I'm, I love you, Mom. Mm. And she said something to me that at first I took, uh, it took me aback just a little bit. And then I got to thinking about it, and I realized, ooh, I like that. Mm. She said, I love you too, son. She used the word son instead of my name. Mm. And I thought, wow, okay, I, I like that. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, it's, I, I, I haven't really dissected it or unpacked it. It's just, I just like it, you know. Mm. Um, one of the other aspects that we have to deal with in our world these days, Sarah, uh, is you kind of alluded to it earlier in the program, all of these different substances. Uh, yeah. And sometimes it's not a substance. Sometimes it's a place. Uh, uh -huh. Sometimes it's a person that we sort of, uh, maybe the correct word here is we become codependent on. Mm. I guess it is possible, is it not, to become codependent on a substance? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's you know, it's the same brain same yeah. brain patterns that get us addicted to heroin and get us really wanting the person that we're in love with to love us back. Yeah. <laughs> so we're kind of vulnerable that way. We're vulnerable as humans to being changed and augmented by behaviors, substances, and people because we're so incredibly relational. And we form relationships with people and we form relationships with substances and we form behaviors, relationships, with behaviors where we're like, okay, this is part of my brain. When you drive a car, your brain thinks the car is part of your body. That's why 
when you get a odd shaped rental car, you're more likely to, you know, ding it up or run into something because your brain doesn't know the shape of the rental car yet. It hasn't integrated it as part of your body, but our addictions become a part of our brain. Um, Our behavioral addictions, like playing video games or shopping become a part of our brain. Our brain doesn't really know the difference between us and other things and people. So one of the things you're talking about with codependency is the experience of somebody else kind of becoming a part of us, but that person who's becoming a part of us has difficulties, usually trauma-based difficulties. And then we're left trying to solve problems for two people. That's generally the codependency pattern is that we're, we're often sucked into a relationship with somebody who's trying to deal with trauma and has addictions. And then we're trying to compensate for both of us in this world of addiction, which is, you know, it's a really big trauma pattern. And when somebody else has an addiction, usually then we need a, another source of resource for us instead of it just being us and the addict. If it's just us and the addict, we're screwed. We need. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing in the sense that, well, you could have all those other voices in your head, you know, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother subject for another time. I want to ask you in in all of this about uh, this, this process that, that you have come up with uh, uh, in terms of uh, resonant, uh, the, our resonant self, each one of us has our own individual resonance, Right. It's unique to us. Yeah. And we can actually change that resonance, can't we? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, we, can. we can start to be warm and understanding with ourselves. That's changing the resonance right away. Have you uh, experienced, I'd like to think that you have, but maybe <laughs> uh, as you've been doing the program, it hasn't, I don't know if it's really been that noticeable. Have there been those moments <laughs> when you've realized, oh, I just, I just changed my, my tone, my resonance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, and I, I work with it when I'm waking up in the morning. I'm like, okay, because waking up in the morning has sort of classically been a hard time for me. So what happens if I wake up in the morning and I'm really warm and, and compassionate with an understanding with the with my grumpiness or my lack of desire to get out of bed, what happens then if I'm just like so, so kind to Sarah? It quite changes everything. Uh, I have also had the experience in dreams of being in a nightmare and having my resonating self-witness come and change everything. Having like being present to my terror providing support and safety, creating protection, um, giving empathy to the bad guy or the bad monster in my dream and having them shrink into something, you know, completely sort of small and cuddly and not so scary. So there's so many ways in which uh, we are changed uh, as we go. Very unexpected ways. The cello in the background is one of those unexpected gifts. I always wanted to play the cello and I turned 50 and I was like, huh, I could play the cello. I'm going to be terrible at it, but I'm 50 years old. So nobody's going to (laughs) care. And yet on the other hand, 
you could be real good at it. Yeah, I'm not, but I could be. Well, but I love it. <laughs> I during the pandemic, I started to take cello lessons almost every day, and you know, the cello, like all music, it just becomes more and more complex. I've been working on the E minor scale here, and it's kicking my butt. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I. Uh, I have done something I'm going to share with you and our listeners that um, I started back in probably June of 2021. And I'll share that in just a moment, but reminding you, you are listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here with Sarah Payton. And she has a website, sarahpayton.com, and she has a program that I think you'll be quite interested in, Your Resonant Self. There's a workbook. It is uh, from self-sabotage to self-care. That's the workbook, and the, the book is uh, Guided Meditations and Exercises to Engage Your Brain's Capacity for Healing. And um, we'll talk about, I want to talk about healing too, but before we do that, I want to share something with you that I think has changed my resonance, and I've actually been uh, much more conscious of it, probably so, than I would have imagined. I wrote, for the first time in my life, I wrote a song. <gasps> and... This song that I wrote is based upon um, the words that came from um, someone very near and dear to me uh, and used to reach over uh, uh, and rub my shoulder, my arm and say, you're a good man. Mm. Uh, then in a different state would say some pretty awful things. Oh, dear. But I took that first experience, especially considering uh, where I am today. And I took that line and basically I said, I'm a good man. This is what I was told. This is what I believe, not because I was told it, but it certainly helped to reinforce it. And I'm doing the best I can. I'm a good man doing the best I can. Mm -hmm. And then going back to my parents where I'm going is where I'm coming from. Where I come from is the teachings, the training, the raising up that my parents did of me to be the kind of person I am today. Now, is my, uh, are my words and my actions, is all of that quote-unquote perfect? Eh, maybe not. Not everybody's going to like it, but that's too bad. <laughs> But I'm still a good man. I'm just doing the best I can. Mm. And what I have noticed is a, a, an awareness that when I am in that particular frame of mind of recognizing that I am a good man. And, I'm, and, then, and that's not an egotistical thing. I'm not, I'm not saying it egotistically. Uh, I do believe that. Uh, maybe it was Anne Frank who basically said that she believed that everybody was, ha, you know, had a had a good spot in them. They were good at heart. 
And so if that's the case, then I'm good at heart and I'm a good man doing the best I can without repeating that too many times. <laughs> but it, 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 what it was doing for me was it was opening up this space. And let's talk a little bit about this in terms of the work you're doing, the resonance work that you're doing. There's a line in the song, in the verse, one of the verses that talks about, uh, you know, when I am in touch with that, I feel like I can fly. I feel free. Mm -hmm. I can breathe. Oh, that's let's, wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about that in terms mm -hmm. of uh, the work that you do to help others to really breathe and and feel mm -hmm. alive and as we like to say here no more survival we're not yeah. going to survive anymore we're going to thrive no. yeah, as we clear that trauma and the workbook and the 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 first book both have a lot of support in working with somebody else or working with yourself in journaling processes to clear the trauma away as you clear the trauma where what's happening is what ruth lanius's work showed us the default mode starts to shift and we start to have access to our whole brain. We start to have access to our creativity, to our intuition. And there's, there is a great space that opens for emergence, for the unexpected to evolve. I always say we really don't know who we are until we feel safe in the world. And if we don't feel safe in the world, it's not true, it's trauma. And if we're mean to ourselves, it's not true, it's trauma. And, and as we start to get used to those ideas and track back what needs to be worked with, which is a very simple process that's really based on intrusive memory and tracking intrusive memory, then we start to discover, oh my God, I am a much bigger person. I'm more expansive. I'm more infinite than I ever thought. I do have 86 billion neurons after all. No one could characterize me or buttonhole me or put me in a box. I am an infinite being. You know, that is one of the phrases that I came in touch with, the phrase about being safe, feeling safe. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of times, you may not be speaking ill of self, okay? Someone else may be. And you know that you need to get away from that person, that situation, and you don't. Yeah. And I've, am I correct that that would be a form of sabotage? It is. It's a form of self-sabotage. Yes. And sometimes you have to make that hard decision. It's like when I knew that I was going to have to make this decision one day. Okay. I knew that I was. Yeah. But I also knew that I didn't want to. I, I, right. It's like my still small voice, I refer to as my friend, mm -hmm. uh, was saying, look, you need to prepare. And somebody else had said that externally. Mm -hmm. You need to prepare for this decision. So I did. I, I actually prepared. Uh, and when the time came to make that decision, I chose to make it regardless of the ramifications to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that we find the hardest because we get, and again, maybe the correct word here is we become codependent on the situation or the mm -hmm. person or the mm -hmm. substance. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in our comfort zone, if you will. Oh, I can't do this because, you know, where will I lay my head tonight? Mm-hmm. You know, what will I do about food and clothing and so forth? And then I have to remind them, do you remember what it says in a Bible? Jesus basically was watching the birds. He says, do you see these birds flying around? Look at me. Look at the trees behind me. I don't know if there are any birds there, but they don't work. They don't toil. And yet they're cared for. How much more will you be cared for? Mm. Okay. You're a child. If I may quote this, this poem, you are a child of the universe, no mm. less than the trees and the stars. Mm. You have a right to be here. You remember Desiderata? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a big, big hit back in the 70s, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, let's talk about getting, uh, if you have to make that hard decision and you're, 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 you're struggling back and forth, um, how can one sort of feel more at ease? Because when I did actually do it, I actually felt very good for the first three or four mm-hmm. days. I did. I felt and that, that mm-hmm. sense. Let's oh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I was just working with somebody the other day who was doing a time travel to a younger part of themselves. And they said, this younger part of myself is just so happy and and everything. And they just believe everything their parent is telling them. They're not dissatisfied at all. And I was thinking, why? I wonder why we're time traveling. And then I, so I was like making just resonant guesses for what it was like for the young part of them. And then all of a sudden they said, do you know what? There's another part of myself that I have pushed away that is screaming. And this part of myself that is screaming knows what's true. And so I believe that there is a way that as we do this self-connection work, as you did this self-connection work, we start to be able to hear the part of ourself that is screaming. There's a part of ourself that's fully committed to the, the, to the situation that may not be very good for us, but there's another part of ourselves that's screaming for something better for us or for our children. And when we begin to listen to that, it makes the movement much easier. One of the other wise sayings that I heard, I will share with you, uh, reminding our listeners, this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with Sarah Payton, and sarahpayton.com is the website. We encourage you to go there and get a copy. Get your own copy, okay? (laughs) I'm sorry, you can't borrow mine. Um, (laughs) Your resonant self, be kind of hard because uh, I don't know where you people are and I'm here and well, anyway, uh, get a copy <laughs> of your resonant self, both the workbook and the and the text and uh, uh, just have some fun with it. And that's another thing, too, is is uh, that we'll talk about as well as having some fun uh, with this work, because um, there are going to be times, if I'm not mistaken, Sarah, where. I don't want to deal with the shadow side today. I really don't. And I know that's part of who I am. We all have it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a time when we reach a place working with the trauma where if we have in the past over this particular trauma, we can finally say, you know what? I don't feel guilty anymore. Hmm. I don't feel guilty anymore. I'm okay. 
Yeah. That was not, that was me, but it's not me now. No. I was 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, whatever it was. I'm 61, so I can probably go back maybe to my 20s yeah. or 30s. <laughs> right. That was, that was me then. This is me now. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing to begin to distinguish. Because part of what's happening is the amygdala, the part that has the emotional memory, does not have any sense of time. Mm. So it doesn't, the amygdala by itself doesn't know that I'm 58, doesn't know that you're 61. It thinks we're still three. And then uh, that's because it's not uh, in the places where we have the trauma memories, it's not integrated with the rest of the brain. So as we start to be warm with our traumatized selves, new integration happens and the amygdala can be reached in those areas. And we go, oh, heck, I'm not three years old. That was then, this is now. Yeah, and that's fun. And, it, uh, and our sense of play emerges. And we don't have to be in the darkness all the time. And sometimes it's really good to just step in there and grab ourselves that had to live through the darkness and pull them out of there so that they can be in the light too and get to be with us and be warmly held and responded to and get to play and have fun. You know, it's also very interesting how everybody else seems to think they know what's best for us. Yeah. Or they know us better than we know ourselves. And I would have to say that there might even be some truth to that second statement, especially if you haven't spent any time getting to know who you are. You've yeah. kind of shut those areas of your life down because you don't want to deal with them. Or and, you haven't been safe enough. To or you haven't you been are. safe enough. We no. need to have this sense of emotional safety and a little bit of predictability before we get to know who we really are. We don't get to know ourselves neurobiologically we don't get to know the part of our what happens to us when our nervous system is relaxed and feels safe you know uh, and that's interesting that again we go go back to that aspect of feeling safe and it's different for every single person you may not mm -hmm. be uh, physically abused you may not be mentally abused you might be emotionally abused and or spiritually abused Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's different for every single person. And one of the conclusions that I've come to, Sarah, is that we all experience exactly the same emotions. That's, <laughs> That's what true. makes us the same. Mm -hmm. What makes us unique is our stories. Yeah. How do you encourage and get people to open up and share their stories? I would assume that there is a certain level of confidentiality within the realms of uh, uh, working with people so that they can feel safe yeah. with you because, you know, I've been through therapy. I've been, yeah. I, actually, I went to one that was suggested by my, my ex, my former wife and her best friend. I went to four sessions. I also never paid her because oh, yeah. of the fact that she used the phrase, Richard, you have character flaws. She had a problem with the fact that majority of the, the people that I mentioned who were friends were mostly women. Mm. Uh, and uh, I just, I'm going, you know, I, I realize you're not supposed to necessarily take my side. I get that. But uh, those, to me, for me, I like it. Yeah, I like that it was attacking. That was attacking. Well, I like it when our support people are on our side. The people who study with me, this is one of the things we work with is like, Am I an ally and an advocate? Yeah. And if I'm not, 
what do I need to do so that I can become an ally and an advocate? Yeah. It's been so nice to talk with you, Richard. Thank I you. have I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I thank you so much for being with us here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're talking today with uh, Sarah Paitlin, pa I beg your pardon, Sarah Payton, and she is uh, with us here on the program talking about the work she's doing with your self-resonance, uh, resonant self, I should say. It's your self resonant resonance self. Is great, too. What's that? Self-resonance is wonderful. It, absolutely. I encourage people to get a copy of both the workbook and as well as the, uh, I, I want to say textbook. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's a certain truth that. But also, um, you, have, um, uh, you also have an opportunity for people to sort of get a, a sneak peek if they go to your website. Yeah. And uh, then they go to the uh, uh, Sarah Paitlin Books uh, link on the page. Uh, and you can get a sneak peek uh, and free gifts for, from your uh, Resonant Self Workbook. Uh, yeah. We encourage you to go there. We'll be linked to your website as well. Oh, I do have three you. final questions that I ask oh, all good. of my guests. And okay. I would like to ask you these three questions, uh, sure. if I may. But before I do, I need to tell you... Thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story. It's here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. It's podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations, as well as that link uh, to listen live at richarddugan.com. We also ask you to go to YouTube where you can watch these interviews and uh, you can see us and uh, see our interactions uh, as well as uh, Sarah's cat who, uh, uh, Mumu? Momo. Momo, <laughs> Momo. Okay. And I uh, hope Momo, Momo is doing well uh, as well. And uh, we hope that you will also uh, find it in your heart to support us financially if you can do so. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And uh, if you can do that, when you go to send uh, any size contribution, it'll ask you for the email address of the receiver, uh, yours truly. And that would be richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. We also hope that you will participate in the decade of perfect vision, spending the time mm. listening to that still small voice, um, spending that time in that quiet, peaceful place, just relaxing, and most importantly, feeling safe. Mm. That is a great place to feel safe. Uh, I hope that you'll do that. And with that, my first of three questions. Who is Sarah Payton? <laughs> I am an infinite being who loves learning about the brain. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I hope for as many people as possible to begin to make their brains good places to live. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Hmm. I think my life's purpose is healing. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you again for joining us on the program. Uh, it's mm -hmm. been a great pleasure to get to know you and to talk to you about the work you're doing through uh, the, uh, the books that you have available to our listeners and our viewers, your resonant self. There is the workbook. You also have an app. If, as I, am I correct? 
Oh, uh, the meditations are on Insight Timer. I think that's as close as we get to an app. You can get them on Insight Timer or on the website. Okay, very good. And I would encourage you folks to check into that. Uh, And uh, again, I thank you so much for joining us. And I thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.